Well, good morning, everybody. How you doing? How many of you figured out the Rubik's Cube years, years ago? How many of you wasted hours on it? Yeah, boy, I sure did. Oh, that was crazy. But it's good to see you this morning. I want to introduce this guy here in just a minute. And let me tell you a couple things that have been happening here at Timberline Church that we're so excited about. And this started back probably in March or April. And uh, Josh McGinley, this is Josh, is a brother to Matthew McGinley, who is leading worship today. Now, there's just two of eight kids in the McGinley family. But, and, and Josh is going to introduce his family to you a little bit later. Uh, we invited them to come on, on Wednesday mornings at 8.30. We have a chapel for all of our employees at Timberline, all campuses. And we gather in one of our auditoriums, and sometimes it's a fun thing. Sometimes it's just prayer, or emphasis, or learning. But we invited uh, Matthew McGinley and Josh McGinley to come. Matthew led us in worship. Josh brought a devotional, some thoughts. These two guys are planting and have planted a church here in Fort Collins called Ascent Project. They meet at Everyday Joe's. They meet at our campus in Old Town, TOT, down there on Mason Street. So we've known them for years. I've known their dad for over 30 years. He's a pastor at Southgate Church here. And while I was sitting, exactly was in this auditorium at the time, and um, when Matthew got done with worship and Josh started sharing, I got to tell you, I just felt kind of, you know those nudges from God that you don't, you can't explain it fully, but I felt this nudge in my spirit to say, you need to connect with Josh and Matthew. They're part of Timberline's future. And I didn't know what that meant. I just, I just thought, well, what does that mean? And so I said, hey, would you guys go to lunch? Remember that? And oh, we, yeah. we yeah. met, went to lunch, and got, we had some talks about the movement of God and what he's doing. And we, we actually ha had some tear-up moments in there with the passion that we were feeling about God asking us to partner together. And so we we've been trying to figure out how to make that work. And so I invited Kevin and our uh, Matthew and Josh to our pastor's meeting and introduced them, our deacon meeting, our leadership stuff. And over the last few months, we've been on a journey to simply say, God, what is it that you want? And so it's ended up that Matthew has joined our worship team. He's going to work with Cameron. The only thing I've said to Matthew is that you are not allowed to grow a beard. Cameron's got that covered. <laughs> Matthew said, you don't need to worry about that. <laughs> I wish I had Matthew's hair, to be honest. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's too. a pretty yeah. cool hair. Uh, but there's an anointing on, on Matthew in a special way with worship and our whole team. And then Joshua, um, I invited him to join our teaching team. And I don't know if, I know you wouldn't notice this, but our teaching team is not getting any younger. <laughs> right? And so... Um, we are a very multi-generational church, a lot of young people, a lot of, a lot of kids and parents and families, and I just have been very sensitive to say, God, please keep us young, keep us effective. Mackenzie joined our teaching team. She's been phenomenal as a young lady, but I, I just feel like, Josh, you're a perfect fit for everything that Timberline's about in the kingdom of God, and you're going to really be blessed today. So he's going to be speaking several times each year, and, and uh, Matthew's going to be leading probably once a month in worship, and so we're just going to enjoy them. But I want to pray over Josh today and ask you to join me just for this, 
this first kind of kickoff to rally, to let God do what God does, and uh, to continue this partnership to be healthy and strong as we go into our future. Lord, thank you for Josh. Thank you for his wife, Allie, and their three kids. I just pray that you would have a, a special place, God, that you would do what only you can do through their lives. Thank you for spending them partly here at Timberline Church. We just ask you to encourage and strengthen and go before them. Open our ears and let us hear what you have to say to us today through Josh in your name. Hey, would you give a nice Timberline welcome to Josh McGinley? Thank you. Awesome. All right. Well, good morning. Thanks, everyone. I keep hearing that the 10 a.m. service is the one that everybody is the most alive for. So, all right, we'll see if you guys really can live up to that. But anyway, uh, really, really excited and thankful to be here. Pastor Derry, Pastor Jeff, and the team uh, have just been so, so awesome. It's been really, really fun to hear him share that story again of getting to meet and, and really. But I grew up in Fort Collins, was born and raised here for most of my life, went to school at CSU. And so I've been and seen and been a part of many events here at Timberline. Um, and just seeing the impact of this church in our city and what really stuck out to me so much about just our time uh, with, with Pastor Derry and the team is just their vision to see the kingdom of God impact people in our city and how it just being about the big C church, about God's church and, and, and the gospel being what goes forth and impacting people. And, and so we're excited to get to be a part of that and, and uh, just really, really pumped to get a share from, from the word with you guys this morning. And as we begin, I wanted to just introduce a little bit more about myself. Derry mentioned uh, my family, but I've got a picture of them here that I want to show you guys. Um, and so this is my, my crew here. This is my amazing wife, Allie. We've been married for coming up on nine years in January. And then um, Evie's my five-year-old. Little Nora is three. And then my little boy, Miles, is one. So started with the two girls, which is absolutely incredible. And then was so pumped to get the little boy here uh, in the last year. So got my little guy to, you know, play basketball and all that stuff with. And, uh, and that, they're my pride and joy. I just, I love each one of them so, so much. And they know it. Right? And that's a good thing. As many of you guys are parents in the room or, you know, it's like, that's, I want my kids to know how much they're loved and how we adore them, my wife and I. And, and they do that and they know that and it's a great thing. But also, some of you parents will understand this, but they take advantage of that at times too. And uh, what I mean by that is my wife um, tends to end up at Target a good amount. So I don't know if any of you women in the room, that happens to you. But we live pretty close to the church here, so we're not far from Target. And so my kids, when we walk into that store, they know it, right? They know where the toys are. They know where the books are. They know where the candy is. And they, they have this, I don't know where this came from, but when they walk into that store and they see the red Target, they expect to get something. You know what I mean? And, uh, and so I think I'm just going to assume that it's a good thing and, uh, because they know that their mommy and daddy love them and that we love to give them good gifts. And many times we've got into Target and they have received a gift. Um, their grandparents also play into that, you know, and so they get gifts there. But um, it's great. So they ask with this expectation when they come that they're going to get something. And so sometimes they get a toy. Sometimes we're able to get out of there with a smaller piece of candy. And sometimes I say no, but yet there's still a Kit Kat on my receipt somehow that they scanned at the checkout, you know. So those people, they know what they're doing when it comes to marketing. Right? But when they ask my kids, they ask with an expectation. Why? 
They ask because they know their daddy and mommy love them and we love to give them good gifts. And I want to invite you all as we study the scriptures this morning to have that same mentality like a child that you want to ask that your heavenly father, because he gives good gifts. And that's, we see that all in scripture, that he gives gifts to those who ask, that he gives generously to those who ask. And we started this series here at Timberline last week. Pastor Dick Foth did an amazing job kicking it off from the book of James. And the series is titled, Becoming Whole in a Fractured World. And today we're going to talk about this idea where whole people seek wisdom. They seek after the wisdom of God. And and that is what we see right away from James. We're going to talk about chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, that God generously gives wisdom. Let's read this together. It says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable. They are unstable in everything that they do. All right, so a lot of stuff here, and there's, there's really three parts that I see James focus on in this section as we talk about seeking after wisdom. And the first one is that whole people would seek godly wisdom, that there's a lot of different voices, a lot of different influences where we can find and pursue wisdom, but that we would seek after godly wisdom. The second part that's really emphasized here is this idea that he wants us to come to him. Which is amazing. I mean, it's worth being excited about. And that's what, that's what gets me pumped up this morning to get to share this with you is that we have a God in heaven who's created all things, who's over all things. But yet every individual in this room, he wants you to come to him. And the third part that James really challenges us as believers is he says that if you are going to approach God, we approach him with unwavering faith, with a belief that he is good, that he's for you, and that he's all you need. And we're going to unpack those three main ideas here this morning. The first one, this idea of seeking after godly wisdom. I want to ask us a question as we really begin this morning. Ask this question of yourself. Where do I turn or where do you turn for wisdom? Like where do you go when you're seeking wisdom? Because there's many voices There's many influences in our world, whether it's social media, it's the internet, it's the news, it's anything on TV, it's other people, it's past experiences. I mean, there's so many voices that want to teach us, that want to talk to us, that want to make a difference and and impact our lives and, and lead us in a path of what wisdom really looks like. And so as people of God, I want us to consider where does wisdom really come from? And in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, It says this, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. So right away, what God is saying through this proverb is that this this, fear of the Lord, our view of God, our our way that we see him, that, that wisdom comes from God. That wisdom exists because of God, that then it doesn't really exist apart from God, but wisdom comes from God. And Colossians chapter 2 takes this even further. It says... In verse 3, in him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I just think that's a really cool way to look at it. Because you think about a treasure, a treasure has great value. 
And a treasure is something that's worth seeking after and searching for. And that is something that we see a lot in the Bible when it talks about pursuing and going after wisdom from God is that it's actually a search. That God wants us to be engaged in searching after wisdom and searching after him. But it's an invitation to come before him, and it's a personal invitation. That God wants you, no matter where you are, no matter where you come from, that you're somebody that can seek wisdom from God. That it's not just to rely on secondhand information or what other people have to say, although that's very valuable. But God wants you to seek after him for yourself. And then this goes, we're going to now go to Proverbs chapter 2. Continue this search of wisdom. This is the first six verses in Proverbs chapter 2, so follow along here with me. He says, my child, listen to what I say and treasure my commands. Tune your ears to wisdom and concentrate on understanding. Cry out for insight and ask for understanding. Search for them as you would for silver. Seek them like hidden treasures. Then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord and you will gain knowledge of God. For the Lord grants wisdom. I mean, that's incredible. Now he wants to give that. And then from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. At the very beginning of this, there's really two parts that, that this proverb talks about. It says to listen and then treasure his commands. <laughs> I know this for me and, and maybe for you, but I think listening to God is a challenge. And that's because there's so many different voices, so many different distractions in our world that take up so much space in our lives that do we actually create a quiet space or a time where we slow down enough to actually listen to what God says. And then the second part of that of treasuring his commands, that wisdom is more than just hearing it in and just pulling in knowledge, but it's actually, it's treasuring it. It's letting it go down into my heart. And then what happens there is it impacts your life. So wisdom is more, and I, I think when I think of wisdom, I just think of knowledge I'm gaining, skill or stuff I'm learning. But we see in the Bible, it's more than that. It's requiring who God is, but it's also applying who God is into your life. That wisdom's more than just knowing the stuff and being able to say it, but it's doing it. I'm going to share with you guys a little bit of story where I learned this a little bit of the hard way in my relationship, you know, with my wife. So uh, we've been married for almost nine years, like I said, but um, towards the beginning of our marriage, um, I was planning a date and, you know, wanting to come up with an amazing, romantic, great idea that she would absolutely love. And so I came up with this genius idea to take her to the Denver Nuggets game. You know what I'm saying? All right. So I don't, I don't know why you're laughing. I mean, I love basketball. It feels like a pretty good idea for a date, you know, make sure. And, and, and my wife's a good sport. Like, she likes basketball too, and, and, or at least she makes it look like she does because I like it, right? And so, so she agreed, and, and we went to this Nuggets game. And so part of the, uh, the thing is driving to Denver, getting to go and have dinner before. And, and part of this story that's important to tell you guys is, as Derry mentioned, I'm a, I come from a big family. So there's eight of us. I'm the second oldest. So I, there's four brothers, then there's four sisters. All right. So what that looks like for us is my parents were amazing, and they, they provided for us really well. And so we always had, you know, we had stuff, but we just did things differently than maybe smaller families would do. One of those main things being my dad had a very strong conviction that you don't ever buy concessions at a sporting event or at like a movie, Right. Because his thought was, hey, we could just go to Wendy's or whatever before the game and buy a dollar burger instead of spending $8 on a burger and, you know, $6 on a drink, whatever. 
And when that's eight people, 10 people, like that gets pretty big. So that was my upbringing, okay? So I'm gonna start there, okay? And then, so now I'm married and it's just two of us. And I don't know why, why I wasn't smart enough to realize that, but I just took on my dad's same conviction of we're never gonna buy stuff at a game, right? We're gonna get a ticket, we're gonna get in, that's how it's gonna be, right? Not gonna spend money there. And so on the way down, there's, if you've been to the Pepsi Center, it's Ball Arena now in Denver, just a block or two from the arena, there is a beautiful restaurant that's perfect for a date, and it's called Burger King, all right? You know, so I decided, hey, this, we didn't have a lot of time. I took her to Burger King before the game, then went to the game. So great night, didn't spend a lot of money, went to the game. And, you know, all the guys in here are like, that's a date right there. You know what I mean? And all the women, you're like, that guy, who is this guy, right? And so I had this great idea the next season to say, hey, that date worked so well. Allie, can we go to the Nuggets game again? And here's her, her response was, she says, Josh, I'll go with you as long as we don't go to Burger King before the game. Okay, so there's my wise instruction. And, and guys, I, I probably, you can relate to this of like, you know, maybe you've been in that place where maybe it's wife, girlfriend, whatever. It's like, hey, if you plan the date, they really appreciate that. And so, you know, I'm, I, I think I've got it under control. I've been to Denver a billion times. So I'm like, all right, cool, that's easy. There's a bunch of restaurants between here and the Nuggets Arena. Like, no problem, all right? So I get on, I buy the tickets to the game, we're good to go. And I, in, instead of, you know, taking the, the wiser step of actually planning, I had the great idea to say, there's so many restaurants, I'll just see a sign, we'll pull over, like, we won't go to Burger King, we're good. So we, we start going, we leave in plenty of time. And unfortunately, I don't know what happened, but apparently there's other people in Denver, right? And so we got in a lot of traffic and, and that slowed us up a bunch. And then I, I was thinking, okay, there's 16th Street Mall. It's only a couple blocks from where we're going for the Nuggets game. I'll take her there. It won't be Burger King. We're good to go. So I pull into 16th Street. <laughs> of course, there is no parking anywhere. Like, there's nowhere to go. And I don't know still to this day why I did this, but I was really focused on not missing the game. And so I didn't want to take more time. And all of a sudden, we're weaving through the streets of Denver and running out of time to get food and make it to the tip-off of the game. And we come up on this restaurant, right? And I pull into the parking lot and just, and it's Burger King again, you know what I mean? And I don't know how I did that, but I convinced her to go in there, get a cheap burger, and then like, we did it. But now I'll never ever, whenever we go past the Burger King, I hear about that day, right? Like two years in a row. And I don't think we've ever ate it one since, right? No disrespect to Burger King. It's just, it's just you know, PTSD in our relationship. <laughs> but I'll tell you, I had all the information, you know, had all of the wisdom from her to say this date, all I had to do to make this date great was to not take her there, right? I knew that, but I didn't actually live it out. And I think all too often that's the way that we approach what God has to say in his word and his commands and the wisdom that he gives us is that we might be able to say it, we might know it, we might even spend time in it, but do we let it actually be something that we apply in our lives? Because is it really wisdom at all if it's just something you know but you don't let it impact the way that you live? And that verse that continues in Proverbs 2, and it gives us real action words around wisdom of tune in, concentrate, search, you know, cry out for wisdom. That it's this, it's this pursuit of finding it. And then what's amazing is that it says that, that God generously gives wisdom. He loves to give good gifts to his children. And so that leads us to that second point that, I, that point that I want us to really understand this morning is this idea that he wants us to come to him. That the heart of God is for us to come. 
And I think it's important maybe for some of you to hear this this morning, that James says that he doesn't rebuke you for asking. That even if you're somebody that you feel like you're far from God right now, this is a place that you haven't been for a long time. Or maybe you've made some decisions in your life. Maybe there's some stuff that have happened that have, have kind of caused you to drift away and it feels like it would be difficult to now approach God. What I want to tell you this morning is that, that he's a loving father in heaven and he wants you to come to him. He doesn't say that you have to get everything in order. He says it's okay to not be okay and to come in his presence. You don't have to get everything in your life fixed. You don't have to do all of these things and know the right answers. He just welcomes you to come and he wants to walk with you in your struggle. There's nothing too big. There's nothing too small. God wants us to come to him. And in Matthew 7, Jesus makes this really clear. He says this in verse 7, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You parents, if if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. Why why would we do that? So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to those, to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? I mean, how, I think most of us have got to experience that joy of giving a great gift. I mean, that feeling is amazing. When you put the effort and the time, the resources into buying the perfect gift for a loved one, somebody that that you love, and you know when they open this, they're going to light up, and you get to see them open the box and, and the packaging, and you see the joy on their face, or maybe you see them actually put it into use, and you see how they get to to be so excited about it. That, it brings such an amazing feeling to give that. And what I want us to say here is, and see in this is, Jesus talks about here in Matthew 7, that that's actually the way that God views you when you ask. That he, he loves to give good gifts to you. He's not a God in heaven who's standing back and far away and, and hoping you do all of these different things before you come. But no, he's actually a loving father. He's a loving parent that, that loves to give good gifts. But what's something we see really clearly is that there's a persistence in the way that we ask. It says, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. There's this persistence in it of continuing to come. It's not maybe just a one-time thing. There can be great moments, and God can do amazing things in a moment. But the life of following Jesus is a journey of consistently and daily coming after him. I think most of us in this room, we would probably say, I want to see God do great things in my life. Right? Like, I want to see miracles. I want to see God speak to me. I want to hear God. I want to see God work in my relationships. I think all of us would make those comments. But what I want to ask us today and let us consider is, do my daily choices reflect that desire? Do my daily decisions create a space where God has the ability to speak to me, where God can work in my life? Do I daily allow time with him? And I I came across a really great quote this week from John Maxwell. He's a former pastor. He's written over 100 books on leadership and He says this, he says, you'll never change your life until you change something you do daily. Like, that's powerful. Because we have these moments where it's like, God, I want you to do this. I want to hear from you. And then we just, we say that, but then we just go back to our normal routine. 
And we don't create space to hear from God. We don't treasure his commands. We don't continue to come. But if you want to see, I think there's a lot of application from that quote into many parts of our lives, but in our relationship with God of saying, if I want to see something happen in my life, if I want to draw close to God, it's a daily commitment to make time to be with him. It's a daily time to really carve out and be with him. And these big parts from James, we see this, that he says, seek wisdom. He says that he wants us to come to him. And that third point that he really hits on is he says, do not waver in faith. Do not waver. When you approach God, you can approach with a confidence, not because of you or what you've done, but because of who he is. That, that God is our one that we can put our trust and our confidence in. He's not just a backup plan. Right? In business, we have something called a contingency plan. And a contingency plan is, is very important for a successful business. That you have different systems in place, and companies sometimes even have departments that are there to create these. Of if this happens, this is our response. Or if this big change happens and plan A doesn't work out, we have plan B to fall back on. Right? Or we have plan C if we have to get into that. And that's a good thing. In our daily lives, there's many ways that a backup plan is great wisdom. You think about if you have an investment strategy. Or someplace, maybe you're applying for a job. Areas like that where it's, it's important to maybe hedge your bets or have different options and different directions that you can go. Because if one doesn't work out the way you thought it would, you have something to fall back on, right? That's, that's smart wisdom in our daily world. But I, what I want to challenge us with this morning is, is, do I view God as a part of my own contingency plan? And you might right away say, no, that doesn't make any sense. That's not what I do. But in our actual way that we live our lives, is, is our faith and our confidence in God alone, or do we actually find faith and confidence in our assets and the things that we have, the people that we know, the gifts and the talents that we have, all of these other things, or maybe we're even seeing God as a, as a fallback plan in the way that I'm really living. That if once this pursuit in my career doesn't pan out the way that I thought it would, at least I can at that point follow God. Or maybe it's like, hey, when I get to this age or when I'm at this stage in my life, then I'm going to make commitments to really follow Jesus. But what we see in James, he says, hey, when you approach God, approach with a, with a confidence and an assurance of faith. An unwavering and a belief that he's the one that's going to answer you and he's with you. And to really bring this in, I want to share a story from 2 Chronicles chapter 20. It's an amazing story in the Old Testament. And just to set the stage for you a little bit, Jehoshaphat is the king in Jerusalem. And he is the king over this, this great land of Jerusalem, God's people. And for the most part, Jehoshaphat tried to lead the people to follow after God and his commands. But there's a day where he gets some really, really bad news. And this, this bad news is, hey, Jehoshaphat, we just heard that there's an entire army from multiple nations that are coming against Jerusalem to attack and invade and overtake our city. And I think it's like, I, I just imagine like him that morning here, he's the king feeling good about himself. And all of a sudden his whole world just flips upside down. And I know many of us have been in those situations before in various parts in our lives where we, we thought things were a certain way. We thought we were in control a certain way. And then maybe something happened and we were totally changed. And now it's, what are you going to do? And, and normal wisdom for a king here, I think, would be, all right, we have all this army coming. And, and so what are we going to do? I think normal wisdom would be, let's grab my advisors, my military people, and, and let's come up with a plan to defend ourselves. Maybe there's a counterattack. Maybe there's a different nation we can be an ally with to help us fight. 
Or, or sometimes I think what happens, I know I've been here, when, when things aren't going our way, instead of just going to, to God in that situation, I just come to this place of complaining. But God, how, how did this happen to me? I've been doing this for you, or I've been doing that, or, you know, where are you in this? And we start to blame. But look what Jehoshaphat does. This is 2 Chronicles 20, verse 3. It says he was terrified by this news. Yeah, don't blame him. And he begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. So people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. So his response here is, I'm terrified, but yet I'm going to the Lord for guidance. He gets the entire nation in this big prayer meeting. And then he makes this prayer. This is verse 12. He says this before all the people. He says, oh, our God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that's about to attack us. And I love this phrase. We do not know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. A different translation says, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I just think this is an incredible word of encouragement for all of us this morning. Of of a way to handle a situation that's beyond our control. Because none of us like to be in the situation like Jehoshaphat, where we have to admit we don't know what to do. And I can imagine a king doesn't like to be in that place. He's the one in control. He's the ruler. He's in charge. And I know many of us probably live in that place of, I like to control things. I like to know what's going on. But, but Jehoshaphat says, I admit it. I need help. I feel powerless. But instead of going to complaining, instead of going to another place for wisdom, what he does is he says, I'm going to you for guidance. I'm putting my eyes on you because you're my strength and you're the one who can answer me. And I believe that same message for you today. That if you would do that this morning in the situation that you're in, to say, I don't know what to do. It's okay to be in that place before God. But I'm looking to you for help with full confidence and faith and unwavering belief like Jehoshaphat. In the middle of this prayer meeting, one of the young men stands up in verse 15. And he says, listen, all people of Judah and Jerusalem, listen, King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says. And just hear his response of how they're going to fight this battle. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march out against them. You will find them coming up through the ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens into the wilderness of Jerusalem. But you will not even need to fight. Take your positions. Then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. I mean, like, has there ever been a seemingly worse (laughs) instructions to go into a battle? Hey, y'all. You're like, just imagine being in that army. Jehoshaphat's like, hey, man, you'll go take your position and then stand there. But they're like, but, but wait a second, but watch what the Lord's going to do. It says, watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Don't be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. And what happens is they actually go out and they start singing songs of praise. And God causes the nations and the armies to fight against each other. And in, in Jerusalem, Judah, they win this amazing victory that day because they put their faith and their confidence in God. It was not them trying to figure it out on their own, but it was willing to say, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you with an unwavering faith. I want to see you go and work in ways that are bigger than me. And you might be in this place with saying, well, Josh, like, you don't know what's happening in my world today and the situation that I'm in and how dire the circumstance. I just want to read this over you. It's 1 Corinthians one twenty-five. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. And God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. That that's the one that we're relying on. 
That it's not just a plan of, of surrendering to what's happening, but it is a plan of surrendering to who God is and believing that he is for you and that he's with you and that his strength and his wisdom is what prevails when we seek after him. Will you all stand up with me? As we go from here today, I wanna to just encourage you with three things to remember. That first one is just be people that seek after godly wisdom. Like thinking of that idea of where am I looking for wisdom and is it, am I surrounding myself and filling myself with the word and the wisdom of God? For some of you this morning, it's a word to say that, that God wants you to come, that he has an invitation that's open to you, that he wants you to come just as you are right now here today. And that, that because of who he is, we can be people that live with unwavering faith, that trust in the goodness of God. So Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. God, we believe that you're good. We believe that we can put our trust and our confidence in you. And I pray for my, my friends tonight that whatever situation they're facing, Father, you would fill us with your wisdom, with your strength, and with courage to take it on, knowing that you're with us. In Jesus' name.